0: Special thanks to Ian y for helping us bring you today's P.O. Leadership Snippet Podcast. Welcome to our Snippets Podcast. I'm Leon Gorin, CEO and President of P.O. Leadership, North America's premier peer-to-peer network and leadership advisory firm. Today, we welcome Les Mandelbaum, co-founder and CEO of Umbra and longtime member of P.O. Leadership. The Umbra story dates back to 1979 when both Les and Paul Rowan launched the single window shade. From there, curiosity, creativity, and a passion for design took hold as the company went on to create modern designs for the home that be accessible in both price and attitude. Today, Umbra, with its head office in Toronto, has become a global leader in design and distributes its products to over 120 countries around the world with offices in Europe, the US, Brazil, China. Les, you and your team have done a fantastic job. It's been a great Canadian su- success story,
1: and it's great to have you with us today. Thank you. And thank you for your help all these years, too, with PEO and your oh, own no. personal guides.
0: Thanks so much, Les. So I, I wanted to kick it off with um, a little bit of the future. And, and before I go to the future, I'm thinking about, because I've been really fortunate. I've sat in lots of numerous meetings with you over the years. And the one thing uh, that I noticed and picked up on is you've been a visionary. Like I, I remember eight, nine years ago, what you constantly are doing is predicting the future, looking at the future, urging the team, directing the team, getting them to explore and try and figure out what's coming next. So yeah. I couldn't think of anybody better if I wanted to think about what's this environment, especially around, let's say, the wholesale retail uh, environment look like two, three years from today. It's been an incredible past
1: year, but where are we going from here? Well, first of all, you, you have to look at what was happening before the pandemic. Uh, what forces were in play and what trends were in play before that. Before the pandemic, we saw the rise of uh, ecom uh taking a major portion of uh, consumers' dollars and shopping habits even before the pandemic hit. We also, because we're selling in different markets, we saw what was happening in different parts of the world. We saw that particularly in China, which is considered maybe the biggest consumer market and certainly the fastest growing one over the past 15 years, that they skip bricks and mortar, that uh, uh, sites such as Alibaba and uh, Tmall and the rest, that they, um, they had picked up 70% of the uh, consumer dollars worth of shopping. So that was the norm there. Uh, and and certainly um, the rise of uh, consumers having uh, smartphones, uh, so many at all income levels, being able to shop and comfortable shop on that. So we saw that happening already. So we already geared the company, and predicted that uh, at least half an, or if not a majority of our business would be e Of course, when the pandemic hit, that was the only game happening, except for a few okay. essential stores. So we feel that um, e-com is going to continue to grow, but it's there it was accelerated by the pandemic because they picked up so many new customers that maybe were hesitant to buy just regular household items that they could enjoy visiting in the store. Um, Older people, particularly that um, now that they're doing it, they'll probably continue doing it. Uh, Of course, A lot of them miss the social acts where they'll go back to the store, but now they have that tool in in, uh, that shopping tool and it's not going to go away so fast.
0: So, you know, I guess it's been a big, it's the last year has been a massive transformation, right? We're always predicting retail, bricks and mortar, difficulty. Do you think it's settled out now a little bit in terms of all the disruption to that?
1: Well, I wish I wish you could say that it's settled down, but a lot of things, the disruption is even more so in different ways on the supply chain, on um, different uh, pressures, such as cost increases, material increases, labor disruptions. So uh, even in the markets that have been open for a while and US being our, our biggest market, I can't say that it's settled down uh it's uh we've seen as as the market has reopened in the us we've seen a a a huge return to um stores people are happy to go back in stores but the stores are reporting to me that they don't see as much turnover for the body count that is in the store so a lot of people are visiting stores as sort of just a social experience or an outing yeah. but not necessarily transferring to dollars because a lot of those people are still buying on e-comm um, in the, in the home. I don't, I, I don't know. I can predict on, how, on what it's going to be, let's say next year, but for this year uh, e-comm is still growth is still the, the, the acceleration is still there. Okay. No, that's great. You touched on
0: the. Uh, supply chain logistics this is a big conversation happening in all in our groups i was in one this morning right and they were talking about price increases taking one two what some of them were on their third potential yes. price increase this year because of yeah. raw materials and stuff same i'm assuming in the home hardware you know homeware businesses oh, as well very much is it you think it's temporary or you think this is a a long-term price adjustment now that we're going to see well,
1: if I could predict that, I would be uh, <laughs> buying commodities futures or shorting or <laughs> <all> <laughs> on that. Um, you know, when things go up, you see this in gas prices. Look at, look at what's happened in other areas. They're very quick to go up and they're very slow to go down. People are very uh, hesitant to, once they've established a price, unless they're forced to, unless there's a real competitive market. They, they, to, to reduce prices. So I, I really feel that um, it might slow down. The level of increases is unsustainable because it's just every week it's, it's been hitting. And, and there's a lot of fatigue in terms of going back and changing prices and who's doing it first. And uh, certainly if you're in the middleman and you're dealing with retailers, it's, it's very stressful. But uh, once you've established a price, unless there's a lot of competition, people are hesitant to lower that. And what's happened is that there's less competition these days. There's massive people like uh, uh, Amazon on the bricks and mortar. Uh, the big chains have swallowed even a biggest, a bigger portion of the market, uh, unfortunately, at the cost of independence and some of the specialty chains. So uh, it's a less competitive market in some ways. So I really feel that uh, higher prices are here to stay. And um, obviously, there's a political will to uh, raise the base, the base wages, and that yeah. goes all through the food chain. So that's the cost increase. The rise in China and their currency, the, or you can say the lowering of the U.S. Uh, currency, is inflationary. Uh, tariffs are, are and 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 the uh, the lack of uh, global cooperation and open markets uh, is also causing cost increases. The strain of not regular patterns in su- supply chain. People, uh, supply chains don't do well with blips, fast increases and slowdowns. They can't handle it. So it, it ends up with a lot of um, uh, the pipe get clogged uh, very easily. So I see this as leading to long-term, there's going to be inflation and there's going to be a major correction once governments finally have to face that they have to raise interest rates and therefore mortgage rates.
0: Okay. You are a predictor. You see, you're you're predicting a little bit.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm not alone in this. I've got to say that if you want to be a predictor, I'd advise other people to go outside their own cocoon One of the things I do, of course, PO joining PO is part of that. But I'm also part of, you know, a lot of different groups, uh, other vendors in different countries, high level, mid level. I really try to talk to uh, as many people as possible and network as much as I can globally. And um, the fact that Umbra has a bit of a brand and a story to tell, I get uh, we can punch above our weight and I get invited to the, the table. To talk to as you do too with some of the yeah. groups you're involved in, and you can pick up a lot of information. So, not only information, but you get a consensus of where things are going when you talk. Uh, when yeah. you talk to people in different groups, and I encourage my executives to do the the same too, and my managers to seek out knowledge. Also, I read a lot. I'm I'm a bit old school. I still read, uh, you know, the major publications uh, every day, and Ones that I really think get it right, like The Economist, you know, every week, uh, plus books. No, so you, you do.
0: I, I admire you on that. It's it's funny because that's what we push leaders to do all the time. Right? One of their primary responsibilities of leading an organization is you got to sort of figure out directionally where you're going. And the only way to do that is to sort of read, talk to people outside of your organization, yeah. just get out of your building. Otherwise, yeah. you'll have no sense of it. And uh,
1: so, you know, I, uh, in the old days, obviously for 10 years, I was on a plane every week. when I was starting the business, but I still traveled until this pandemic hit pretty yeah. much 25% of the time globally, and also being on the ground and not as a tourist talking to business people in all corners of the world, you really get a consensus. It's, it's not that I'm smarter than anybody else, but when I'm getting this amount of information, you get to f- a feel of where things are going. If you're talking and traveling to people all over the world and you get some common ideas that seem to be resonating, then you get a sense of where things are going. And that's where it really worked for me was in that 2008 uh, recession when that hit the first uh, the mortgage yeah. defaults and all the rest. I really was able to... Uh, Restructure my business in anticipation that early, and we survived that quite well. So this is similar. So I've been through this a few times, and I think we're coming out of even this pandemic in um, stronger shape. Now, part of that is luck—just the the sector that I happen to be
0: in—but yeah.
1: part of it is
0: no, it's is, insight. See,
1: is reading yeah. and and getting as much knowledge as possible. So I, I know we're pressed for time, but. The the other thing
0: I wanted to touch base with you is this whole workplace environment, right? The whole hybrid uh, piece today. And in your world, I know you got a couple of things going. One is the capabilities that your people are changing all the time now in terms of leadership capabilities, right? You've gone from traditional straight bricks to e-commerce and it's accelerating. So the leadership is changing there. But two is uh, in your world, also on the design, the collaboration, the necessity to be in the office and collaborate. How is this
1: hybrid workplace going to unfold for you? Well, you know, I'm a bit old school in this. I really believe in face-to-face and collaborative environment and different departments interacting with each other on a casual basis. Um, A lot of stuff, a lot of the magic happens here because we're a product development design company almost by accident. And uh Setting up Zoom meetings are fine if you have a specific goal and agenda in place, but a lot of the uh, creative process isn't quite like that here. So uh, we feel part of uh, our advantage is that we've been allowed because we're we're deemed an essential service, whatever, but we were able to stay open in some capacity all through the past year. But on the other hand, even before this, there was a big move that people wanted more, more flexibility as to where they work this happened already so in order to attract top talent it doesn't matter what i think if i want top talent i have to adjust for the work uh for for the for for the i have to market my company competitively and i have to adjust i have to be flexible to attract the best talent and if the best talent says you know what um I want flexibility in my work hours, and I don't want to be at the office every day. We're not going to pass on on having great talent and not being flexible, because Les Mandelbaum, the CEO, has a philosophy of, we like people to be here. So we already had that flexibility in place, and I think that's going to continue. So the hybrid that we have now is going to continue to some form, and we see this uh happening globally
0: oh that's great well les thanks so much for uh sharing those insights. we hit three big topics i know i
1: tightened it up really yeah you did a great tight. job yeah <laughs> we well, you could've... know i enjoy these kind of things and i enjoy our meetings and i gotta say too that part of the reason i'm able to pick up knowledge is that i share knowledge you yeah. only, uh, you reap what you sow. So people that are very, ner- don't like, are very closed in sharing information, they're not going to get the information they need. People are less likely to share things if you don't share. So I, my philosophy is share as much as you possibly can and you're comfortable with, and you'll get it back double.
0: I like those words. That's awesome. Plus, All right. Well, thanks I so it. much. Pleasure. It's great. It's great. If you're interested in our live webcast, The Wave Forward Live, and or any other snippets, please take a moment and visit us at po-leadership.com. You'll find on our site various previous recorded webcasts include guests such as Professor Janice Stein, Harvard's Rosabeth Cantor, Mitchell Goldhar, Greg Wells, Dr. Jason South, Rob Chestnut. And we cover topics such as mental health, leadership, the World Reset, and a whole host of others. Thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to seeing you again shortly.